Well, good morning. How's everyone today? Good? Good? Not so good? Some, some say yes, some say no, some are kind of right in the middle. A couple people sleeping. So uh, we're going to continue this morning in our study on outrageous couples. Have you ever known of a lot of outrageous couples in your life? Do you know couples? Like there's, there's couples in your life that stand out. That when they, they come to your house or they're going to be at a place, you go, oh, man. Yeah, here, here we go again, John. I know. And if you don't have anybody in your life that you do that for, then it's you guys. <laughs> that everybody else is going, here they come again. So uh, we walked through, so far we've been through Adam and Eve, and we talked about Abraham and Sarah last week, and this week we're going to get really crazy. We're going to talk about Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. It's crazy. There's a show on TV called Sister Wives where they're all married to the same guy. God bless them. I don't know how you could do that. But Jacob did, and Leah did, and Rachel did, and it caused all sorts of problems. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the problems that, that they had from that standpoint, what we can learn, the, the types of people they were, and what they experienced. And so today's lesson really is about contentment, love, respect, and mission. Now, a little bit of background on who Jacob was. Do you remember what his name actually meant? Yeah, he was sort of a deceiver, right? He was a heel catcher, uh, kind of a sneaky type of dude. Uh, so that's who he was. And if you remember rightly, we talked about how he had actually conspired with his mom to pretend that he was his brother just so he could get the family blessing. I mean, I'm glad my family's not messed up, right? We all have situations in our families, amen? But, but here's Jacob. He does this, concocts this whole, well, really mom was kind of the architect of it, but he implemented this scheme, and now he's got to get out of town. So he takes off running, and he is running away. And so... Uh, what we see is he, he runs to a place and he takes sort of a nap and he sees angels going up and down on a ladder going into heaven. And that's really a picture of how God is not off somewhere in a cloud. These are really comfortable. All right. These, they're not off in a cloud somewhere sitting and just watching what's happening. He is involved in the aspects of your life. These angels are going down to heaven on missions, secret missions. And then they're going back up to heaven. And they're climbing up these ladders. And that ladder, that word can be stairs too. So it's literally a stairway to heaven. And so they're going up and down. And so uh, Jacob sees this and he says, wow. God is going to be involved in my life. I'm going to follow God. And he takes off and he goes to the land 
of his, his mother's homeland, basically. And so that's what we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 29. We're going to look at verse 1 when you turn there. And we're going to learn the story of when Jacob saw Rachel. And it was love at first sight. Uh, then we're going to bring in Leah into the equation. And then hopefully, if we have enough time, we'll be able to get through all the different things that happened in that relationship. The reason that we're doing this study is to understand that whether the relationship is between man and wife, uh, between siblings, between family, between co-workers, between your boss and you, these relationships have to be grown, guarded, and watered, cultivated, or they, these relationships will die. And it's important for us as Christians to do it in a way that is Christ-honoring so that we could bring them closer to Christ and, and do that by us modeling him and what he did. So as we dive into our Bible study, will you pray with me that God will open our eyes, that we could see the things in Scripture that we didn't see before? Let's ask him. Lord, we're about to study your word. And this is such an awesome responsibility because it gives you the ability to speak directly to our hearts. And God, we ask that today is a special kind of day, a day that we actually hear specifically what you're saying to us, that all the noise gets filtered out so that your message reigns true. We ask this of you as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks. And a large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, then put the stone back in the place of the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Now that, that word should make sense to you, that name, at Haran, that's the city. Remember when, when Abraham and Terah and Lot and Sarah, they left, they went up to Haran for a while. So here we're going to uh, revisit the places that they've been. And so whenever they said, we're from Haran, it clicked. Because we all have hometowns, don't we? And if you meet someone from your hometown, if you're out and about, I, I don't know how we did it, but Christy and I, uh, we went on our honeymoon, and we went to Disney World for our honeymoon, and, as if she wasn't with Goofy already. Um, we went there, and we sat down on the little train to take us to the place where we are going to go, and I looked at the guy across from me, and I said, I think that guy works at Walmart or something, because I've seen this guy before. And so I, I just struck up a conversation. He was from Altoona. You know, going so far, but then you see people from your own hometown. There was almost an automatic kinship, friendship type of a thing, right? Because 
there's a hometown. This is exactly what Jacob's saying. Oh, you're from Haran. My family's from there. Wow. And so uh, that's where we pick it up in verse 5. And he said unto them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He's well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. And then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go feed them. So he sees Rachel coming and, and realizes it's, it's really not time to do that yet. They should still be in the field. But because she's coming, why don't we go ahead and we'll water her sheep for her? And so... Uh, but they said, verse 8, we cannot water, we cannot until all flocks are gathered together. And then they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, we water the sheep. Now while he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass that when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban's mother's brother. He said, guys, why don't we go ahead and, and water this, this flock? And they said, you know, we, we can't do that until all of them are together. Because this stone is heavy. We don't want to move it six times, right? We're going to get everybody together, then we'll do it, and it's all done. She came a little bit closer. and as she, I mean, they're in the desert, so it's warm. But when she got really close, he needed water. So she came close. He actually took and got that stone moved and watered the flock for her. Okay? He took it upon himself to get that done. He was kind of a go-getter kind of a guy. Get-things-done kind of guy. Someone who is motivated that goes after what he wants. And so, verse 11, it says, Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and lift up his voice, and wept. Now, when you first read that, you think, that's kind of weird. I mean, if, if you saw me in, uh, in sheets, and you were looking at the, the, uh, the cooler, right? You said, boy, I, wanna, I don't know if I want a Pepsi, or I want a water, and I just open that up and say, here's your water, give you a kiss. That would be weird. What, what they're talking about here is a greeting. He greeted her. It wasn't a kiss, kind of a kiss. It was, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. You know, my name's Jacob. He is really trying to introduce himself to her and get things, um, get things moving along. And then Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, and he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. And it came to pass, when Laban had heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, he embraced him, and he did what? He kissed him, right. So this is the same word here, okay? That's how we know that he wasn't trying to be, I mean, I know he was a little shady, but he wasn't being aggressive towards Rachel. So he kissed him, he welcomed him, and he brought him into his house. So he told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and, and of my flesh, 
and he stayed with him for a month. So Jacob was impressed, probably too impressed. Now, we get the idea that he was fascinated by Rachel's beauty and enchanted by her charm, and he, uh, he, he failed to recognize her shortcomings and even failed to recognize the will of God in his life at that point. Can we, when we are motivated by emotion, make choices that are not thought through? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why every sale ever is one day only. Right? Last chance. Going out of business. Christy and I are going to be going away for our anniversary, so we were looking at hotels and bed and breakfasts and things like that online, and guess what almost every single one said? One room left. One room left. You've got, you've got to buy me. I'm only one. When in actuality, there's much more. If you take time and think through, you can do it. Emotions drive us in a crazy kind of way. And so... He didn't realize that Rachel has shortcomings. Now, I know most of you sitting here think your spouse or whoever doesn't have any shortcomings. I understand that, right? Can I get a no? Okay. But Jacob was active while he was staying there with Laban. He was actually doing things. He is not the kind of guy to sit down and do nothing. So while he was there, he worked for Laban. He was actually there and doing things. We find all sorts of examples in Scripture about how he went and he, uh, he worked in the fields and he worked with the animals. And so as I, I continue looking down, I believe we're going to be in verse 15, if I'm not mistaken. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were delicate. What does your translation say? Weak, delicate, okay? When you look at this word, the, the easiest way to translate that is they're tired. They're different, right? They may, they may even have been bloodshot, okay? Um, there might not have been any sparkle in it. Her eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and of appearance. So when we look at Rachel, nice lady, kind of bloodshot, tired, maybe eyes. Uh, then we have Rachel, who uh, Jacob's looking at is the total package, Right? He's everything he's ever wanted in a woman. And so uh, verse 18 lays it out for you. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to another man. So stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And it seemed like only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. So, the wedding happens. He served seven years to get Rachel. And all, he was so excited. 
Guys, are you excited on your wedding day? Yeah. If, if not, you just got a shot in the ribs. <clears throat> you were. The wedding happens, but not exactly as planned. There's a little bit of a mix-up here. Those of you that don't know the story, Dad swapped brides on him. He actually ended up marrying Leah. He was tricked. He thought that it was one person, and then somehow it was another person. Does that sound familiar? That he was tricked with the wrong person? That's exactly what happened with him, his dad, and Esau, right? So he marries Leah. And then uh, he finds out really the next day that it was Leah. But Laban tells him that he can marry Rachel too. And the reason he, that he gives for doing this trickery is that in their culture, you can't marry off the younger daughter before the older daughter. It's not fair. She's got to get married first. And that's why he did it. So, but uh, Jacob's still in love with Rachel. He still wants to have Rachel as his wife. And so he's going to work another seven years. So he really is married to Leah alone for one week. It wasn't like he had to wait 14 total years before he married Rachel. Okay? It was, I worked seven years, I get married to Leah, I'm married to Leah for a week, then I get Rachel, then I finish working another seven years. Make sense? From a timeline standpoint. This is where the trouble begins. This is a true love triangle a real dysfunctional family. Jacob was the original workaholic. He desperately wanted to be a success. He was constantly focused on the fields, on the animals, making sure that things were good. And God actually blessed him with great possessions. But what happens in your life when God blesses you with possessions? It's almost a curse because instead of making God the number one thing in your life, we have a tendency to keep looking at other things. Uh, I, I talked with the youth about how uh, our heart is really where our uh, priority is. And I said, how many of you guys have ever been on a field trip or something to a big city? And a bunch of hands went up. And I said, ladies, when you get off the bus in the big city, how do you hold your purse? And you all already know the answer. How do you do it? Yeah, it goes across you like this, right? Not, on, not just hanging here, but it goes across you so you can put your hand here. Why? Yeah. Because the stuff that's in here is kind of precious. I value it, and I don't want it stolen. Guys, we do the same thing. Either we take our wallet out and put it in our front pocket, right? Yep. Or we ask if we can have it out of our wife's purse. Then we put it in our front pocket. Um, or we, we carry a special kind of a wallet. It's not our full normal wallet we take. We take something small that we can keep a hold of. It's because we value that. And when you're going through that city, how many times are you going, just making sure, just checking to see if it's still there. 
I mean, I didn't spontaneously get a pocket hole walking 10 feet, but I'm still making sure. We do it also, this day and age, this culture, we do it with our phones all the time, don't we? Have you guys ever left your phone somewhere? How does it feel when you realize it? <gasps> I mean, it's, it's almost like leaving a kid. <laughs> Except you go back for the phone. <laughs> when we're blessed with possessions, it tends to take our sight off of God and onto that. And that happened a little bit with Jacob. He is focusing on this stuff. The original workaholic. But here's the problem. Competing priorities means that you make a choice. You make a choice. Do you know when you choose to do something, you're actually effectively choosing not to choose something else? Right? So you say, yeah, I chose this. What you really did is you chose not any of that. So it's a choice either way. And competing priorities make you choose one thing over another. And in some instances, those choices can... Marriage and family life will suffer on the path to material success. It happens a lot. I'm just going to work some overtime. I'm just going to work Saturday. I'm just, I've, I've got to go away. There's a chance that this business trip could be big for me. I've got to go. I am choosing this over this. And sadly, a lot of times, we choose that over that. And God never wanted that. If we look at Genesis 29... Thirty and thirty-one. Look at this. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and also he loved Rachel. What's it, what's it say? More than he made a choice, didn't he? He loves Rachel more than Leah. So we get that. We get that. I mean, that was just kind of his first love. You always love your first love a lot. And he served with Laban still another seven years. But look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was what? Hated, right? That word, when you look at it, it really means she was unloved. What kind of a marriage is that where you're unloved? What kind of a relationship is that when you're unloved? When you as a child feel unloved by your parent. When you as a parent feel unloved by your child. That's not a great feeling. And God saw that not, not just that, that, that Jacob loved uh, Rachel more, but completely, and Leah was unloved. That was so heartbreaking. So God opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. That's heartbreaking. Leah tried to get Jacob to love her. Every time she gave birth to a son, she hoped and she prayed that he would this time finally love her. And he didn't. He never attempted to love her. Do you know of someone in your life that's vying for attention? I mean, maybe it's from you. 
Maybe you're the one that's doing it, thinking if I could just do this, then they'll love me. That's the way our culture is. It's a transaction. If I do this, then you will. But that's not how God planned it. He has unconditional love. It doesn't matter what you do. You can be the biggest screw-up in the world, and he loves you. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have in a marriage. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have with our, our children and our family. We are to always love those. Now, it's really, it's almost a, a commandment, an order for husbands. Ephesians 5 says it like this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, Pastor Dave just talked about this this morning. Does it say, husbands, as long as the house is clean and she's not bugging you, love your wife? No. It's just you love your wife. That's what it says to do. Sadly, Jacob was married to Leah, right? So Leah was his, yeah, yeah. And by this, he is supposed to love her. And he totally dropped the ball. He didn't do it. Why? Because he was focusing on something else. It was either work, 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 or Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What a big fail. Now, the ladies also have a commandment, what they're supposed to do. Ephesians 5.33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is a correlation there. There is a, a sequence there, isn't it? If the husband loves, then she respects. There's also a danger there. If it doesn't happen, it gets into what we call the crazy cycle. And this is what it looks like. He reacts without love, so then she reacts without respect. And because she reacts without respect, he reacts without love. And it just starts to circle and kind of goes down the tubes. That's, I go through this a lot with, with our premarital counseling, with our newly marrieds. It's very important to understand this isn't Pastor Rodney's deal. This is scripture. You just read it, Ephesians 5. It said, husbands, love your wives. And ladies, respect your husbands. So that's something that Jacob did not do. But here's where it turns weird. You thought this was crazy up to now? It, it's going to go crazier. We're going to go off the rails here. Next, we have a vicious pull-no-punches competition between Rachel and Leah. 
And that competition, who can have more babies? Yeah, that's what it's all about. And it starts with the sweet phrase in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. So let's read that. Now Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister and said to, Ra- said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die! That's what she said. And you know what? That really made Jacob angry. Now why was this competition even a thing? It didn't make any sense. Why did Leah want to have all these kids? Yeah, she thought, you know what? You know what it is? Here's what it is. Leroy, you know what it is? One more. If I have one more, he'll love me. That's what's going through her head. And Rachel's saying, I have everything. I have this great husband. But you know what I don't have? I don't have kids of my own. I don't have a family. And look at her. She's trying to get all the attention. So there's a competition there. And with that competition, I've got to jump into this, she says. Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead who hath withheld thee from fruit of the womb? And she said, behold, my maid Bilhah, go unto her and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and also heard my voice, and hath given me a son, therefore I shall call his name Dan. She decides that if she's not going to get pregnant, she's going to take it into her own hands. Boy, that awful sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, God, you're just taking too long to get my thing done. So you hang on, and I'm going to do it for you. How's that work out? Didn't work out great for Abraham, did it? His family was plagued for years by warring factions and parties that came in and just just tormented the Israelites. And now we have Rachel doing the same thing. And, you know, I want to talk just a real, real quick thing about on, it said about having it on my knees. What they would do in that time for the child to be hers, because you and I are sitting here going, hold on a second. Rachel said it's her baby, but Bilhah is the one that carried it and delivered it. How does that work? In that culture, when they were going to take Uh, possession of a child like that, as the lady was in labor, she would actually sit upon the knees of the other lady. So when the baby was delivered, it would ultimately be this lady's baby. Crazy, right? Yeah. This is how she thought she was going to take care of God's plan. That's how how I'm going to fix everything, because I'm so smart. Well, it didn't work out that way. Bilhah, she had a baby. They call this baby Dan. And finally, Rachel has it all. 
She's got it all now. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. So I will call his name Naphtali. And they continue back and forth. You see, Leah says, oh, <laughs> two can play at that game. Hey, Zilpah, and gets her handmaiden over here. And they just go back and forth and back and forth until there are 12 sons and at least one daughter. Through all of this fighting and bickering back and forth and this competition, did this make the family better or worse? Absolutely. They thought that they could make it better on their own. They thought that one more kid and it's going to be perfect. Or if I have one more through this handmaiden, I'm going to shut my sister up and I will have won. Competition destroys relationships. It can be competition between uh, siblings, between husband and wife, between all kinds of different relationships. Even you at work, you could have a competition, right? <coughs> you always see that kind of stuff. Um, Usually for me, you see it most often if I'm in the grocery store and there's one checkout line open and I got my cart and somebody else is heading that way, we just kind of both, you know, I'm going to get there first, guaranteed. I, it's usually because I sacrifice the bread or something, I throw it under their wheel. And then just tell Christy I forgot to get it. We've seen the result of envy. We've seen the impact of misplaced priorities. We've seen the cost of taking others for granted. And we've seen the formula for the crazy cycle. So what should we do as Smith Corner Church Christians sitting right here? What can we do in our lives? What can we take out here and do? We have to realize that we need to choose people over possessions. We need to realize that we choose family and relationships instead of Facebook and revenue. That's what we have to do. But above all else, even if you can't get all this other stuff right, because it's hard, if life was easy, anybody could do it, and we'd be perfect, and there would be no need for Christ. But we're a fallen world, and we're not very good at this. If we had just some kind of a, of a plan, some kind of some guidance, a blueprint, something to follow, well, there's one piece of information we can use. And that is to seek first the kingdom. If you do that, if you put God first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are added unto you. You feel unloved? Are you not getting the love from your family, from your husband, from your whoever? There's an easy way to fix that. Leroy knows, don't you? One more kid. No, that's not it. That's not it. I mean, if you want to, it's totally cool. I'm just saying. Seek first the kingdom. You feel unloved, go to the author of love. If you feel that you're, you, you don't have anything, go to the one that has everything. If you feel that you can't go on, go to the one who will carry you home. 
That's what we can do in our lives. We forget about it. You know why? Because life is so busy. We've got so many things coming at us at once. It's like being downstairs and all the kids want to come up and tell you their stories at once. Hey, I did this. Like I can focus on one of you. That's the way life is. And you want to know a secret? I think it's been designed that way. To keep your head spinning so much that it can't stop on what's most important. As long as it's moving all around, you can't focus on the one thing that's important. That's what we need to do starting today. Will you pray with me? God, there's so many things in this crazy mixed up family that we could be here all week talking about it. But God, we know that there's a lot of stuff in our lives that takes our attention, that, that causes us not to put you first. And although some of us are stuck in the crazy cycle, we can get off of that cycle. All we need to do is follow your rule, follow your guidance, put you and your kingdom first and let you handle it. God, there's people sitting here right now that are going through some stuff. They've got things in their lives that are broken. They feel like they can't breathe, that they have weights on them, that there's so many things, they're just spinning around looking at all of them and they can't focus. Right now, Lord, I ask for clarity. Let all of that fall away like melting snow off their backs. The one thing that should stand out is the cross. God, you're right there right now telling them, seek me first and let me do what I am here to do because I will handle it. God, thank you again for this study. In Jesus' name, amen.